All right, mate, cheers. Hello, everybody. Nice to see you. Um, let's move that. Thanks very much for the applause. That's always very nice. Um, I'm really pleased to be here, to be honest. I'll tell you why I'm pleased to be here. Um, I don't normally go away from Lewis. We, I basically, I do Lewis all the time, every week, um, and, and that's my focus. But I was really pleased to be invited here and really pleased to be able to come here because I, I just, there's, been, there's a real connection between me and this church here that you, most of you don't know about. Um, I mean, really way back in time, it was, it was a, a meeting that King's Church Hastings put on when I was a teenager that I first got baptised by the Holy Spirit and the change that made in my life. And I've always kind of remembered you very gratefully for that. But also, Nigel Dutton, who many of you will know, used to lead the church here before Paul. When I was still a school teacher um, and just thinking about, really, is God calling me in to lead the church in Lewis? Nigel Dutton spent a huge amount of time with me, kind of mentoring me, encouraging me, training me up for that. And to, to be honest, I've always really felt grateful for you guys for letting him have all that time to do it. Without the input that Nigel gave to me, I don't think I would be the person I am today and therefore I don't think the church at Lewis would be the church that it is today. So I really appreciate that and obviously I've got to know Paul over the last kind of five years um, as well and really enjoyed his friendship. I remember the first time I met Paul was he was coming over to do something for us at Lewis in the evening uh, on spiritual gifts I think it was as it happens. But So I, I genuinely feel a strong kind of um, respect and honour and friendship with the church here in Hastings so it's really nice to be here in person. And I have to say, I really like what you've done with it. It's, um, last time I saw it, it was the big kind of open kind of gym type thing that you've done. And honestly, this looks brilliant to me. Coming in, just thinking, really impressive. And I gather you've got more plans to kind of change the rest of it around and sort it all out and stuff, which is, I've seen the plans, I had a little quick sneak peek, and it looks fantastic. So, really, really exciting. We've literally just kind of coming to the end, I suppose, of our building project in Lewis. I'll tell you more about that later on in the context of what we're going to go through this morning. But having been there, I kind of feel a mixture of excitement for you guys in what you're going to go through and um, a kind of a sense of solidarity or trepidation for Paul having to lead you through that kind of uh, whole process with the finances and things involved. Um, Let's get started with the Bible, shall we? If you've got a Bible, grab it out. We're going to do Matthew chapter 17. We're going to start at verse 14 and roll down to probably about 23. If you haven't got a Bible, I'm reliably informed that words will appear behind me at some point. Uh, But before we kind of open it up and start looking at the text, Matthew 17, 14, I just want to ask you a question. And it's obviously a rhetorical question in the sense that I'm not looking for a show of hands or calling out, but I want you to... I want to ask you a genuine question. Has God ever let you down? Now, knee-jerk reaction, some of you, no, of course not, he's faithful, he's faithful, I know he's faithful. I sing a song about it, I read in the Bible, God never lets me down. I'm not after the theological answer. I'm after the real emotional answer. I'm saying, have there, I'm asking you this question, have there been times when you have stepped out in faith maybe, You've taken a risk. You felt God asking you to do something. Or you've done something that you know Jesus would want you to do. And you've kind of taken that step and God hasn't shown up. You've stepped out in faith and God hasn't shown up. Have you had those times? Can you relate to that? You've taken a little chance. Maybe you've prayed for someone who's not a Christian. 
to be healed and they don't get healed. Maybe you've spoken to one of your friends or your colleagues or your family about your faith, really thinking, Jesus, come on, save him, come through, Lord. And they just laugh at you or scoff or just not very interested. Or you invite someone, so they come to Alpha. Oh, and you think, I've, I've, I've got them here. And they walk away at the end, not, that, not for me. Maybe you've given money, maybe even as part of this and as part of the, the kind of period of giving you've had, raising funds for the next stage. Maybe you've really felt God asking you to give more money than you can afford and you've written the cheque or put the cash in and you've stepped out in faith almost with a sense of excitement. Wow, I've, I can't afford to give this. I'm going to be in real trouble if God doesn't show up. But I've stepped out in faith and done what he's thought I wanted him to do. And you've fallen flat on your face because he hasn't come through for you. He didn't provide another cheque the same day through the post. And actually you couldn't pay your bills and things got very difficult. You heard those times? Yeah. What we're going to look at this morning out of Matthew 17 verses 14 to 23 is when God doesn't show up. Okay? We're going to deal with exactly those situations that you found yourself in and we're going to see what we can learn from this passage about how you and I can handle those situations when God doesn't show up. Um, the first thing we're going to see... I'm going to talk... I'm going to, it's basically a, a game of two F's this morning. We're going, to do, we're going to do a couple of F's. The first F we're going to see is failure. And we're going to see that in a passage in a moment. Failure isn't fun, is it, really? How did you feel when you stepped out in faith and God didn't show up and, and you failed? It didn't work. How did you feel? Did you feel? What did it make you feel about God? What did it make you feel about taking a step of faith in the future? How did it make you feel about, well, when he speaks to me again, what am I going to do? It's not fun. Let's read uh, the first couple of verses here and, and we'll just kind of tee up the situation that we're facing here in the Bible. When they came to the crowd, this is Jesus uh, and his three inner kind of circle disciples, Peter, James and John. They've been up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They've just had this thing the night before where Jesus goes up to pray and he's transformed and they kind of see the, the glory of God that is part of who Jesus is and they're amazed and it's a high point for Jesus and then he comes back down the next day off the mountain with Pete and James and John after this great mountaintop experience and they come down and as they're coming towards a crowd that's obviously kind of gathered there at the bottom of the mountain, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures. He's kind of fit seizures, maybe epileptic kind of um, symptoms, very, very, very distressing, particularly as he goes on to say he's suffering greatly and he often falls into the fire or into water. So this man and his son are in real need. He says, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Oh. The disciples maybe think, we know what we're doing. There's a big crowd around. Maybe they've done some healing already. They've done some teaching in the name of Jesus. And the man brings the boy to them and says, can you heal my boy? He's, he's got this terrible, terrible problem. And the disciples almost, I suppose they're rolling up their sleeves mentally and they're thinking, all right, here we go. Maybe Matthew himself, who wrote the Gospel, rolls them up. I'll do some healing. What's the power of God, everyone? Be healed. And nothing happens. And he's not thrown because he's seen many people healed. Be healed! And he's not healed again. One of the other, maybe Andrew, comes through. Get out of the way, Matthew. I will take care of this. Your problem is you're not doing it right. 
You've got to to do it the right way, the modern way, the way we've seen people do it at conferences. Hmm, heal him, Lord. Hmm. 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 And he's not healed. Maybe one by one they all have a pop at him. And he's not healed. It's very embarrassing. It's really embarrassing for the disciples, isn't it? Would you not be embarrassed? It's not, I mean, bear in mind the embarrassment factor here is multiplied several times. First of all, they're praying for someone who's not a Christian. Okay? If, you, if you're praying for a Christian, it's fine. There's no embarrassment. Because however little God shows up and however nobody gets healed, if you pray for someone who's, not, who's a Christian, they will always say at the end, hmm, I feel a little better. Thank you. <laughs> Try and, you try and raise someone from the dead who's a Christian, yeah, I'll feel a little more alive. Yeah. Thank, thank you very much. And to be honest, you know, you, we often do it in a safe environment. Most of you here are Christians. You know, if we prayed for someone who's at the back, if no one gets healed, well, we love Jesus anyway and we still worship. They've got a huge crowd, probably tens of thousands of people around them who are going, what, is that your kingdom of God, is it? That's what you, we listen to you and that's what we've seen. That's not a healing, that's a joke. This is embarrassing for the disciples. Their credibility is at stake. You know, their cheeks are flushing, they're hot, they're sweating, they're looking around, panicking. And just when it couldn't get any worse, it gets even more embarrassing. The double embarrassment is this. The man sees Jesus coming and grasses on him. He he runs, oh, there's Jesus, I'll just go and tell Jesus. Disciples, there's no need for that, there's no need. Don't bother him, he's a busy man. Don't tell him. No, we'll take care of this. Jesus, I brought my son to your disciples. They couldn't heal him. Oh. oh they're looking around. They're trying to shift the blame. Who should we blame it on? Judas. Let's blame it on Judas. He's always, <laughs> he's always messing things up, isn't it? Well, blame it, blame it on him. That's an awkward moment for him, isn't it? That's an awkward moment. How did you feel in your awkward moment? How did you feel when you prayed? Nothing. When you gave, nothing came back. You shared your faith, no results. Maybe you made a, a change in a relationship you knew God was calling you to do. I've got to alter this relationship in some way. And you thought God would come through for you and he didn't. Maybe a work situation where you took a stand thinking God's going to come through and honour this. And he doesn't. How did you feel? It doesn't feel good, does it? There's a real temptation to back off. I had a situation like this recently. I prayed for a guy. Um, he's not a Christian, one of the dads at my kid's school. He's got a bad back. It was preventing him working, so I did the usual. You know, this is a kingdom of God opportunity. This is how the gospel extends, healing, miracles, signs, wonders. I said, would you mind if I... I'm a Christian, as you know. Would you mind if I pray right now that God miraculously heals your back? He says, I don't mind at all. I said, I'm just going to put my hand on your back, if that's all right. That's fine. And I prayed my best prayer. How does that feel? Miraculously, on that occasion, he wasn't healed at all. He said, thanks very much for that. And I thought, it could have gone better, couldn't it? There's a real temptation that I face as a result of that and that you face as a result of your one to just slowly go backwards on these things, isn't it? There's a temptation to go, I've stepped out in faith and... God didn't come through. There's a temptation to, to say, I don't want to expose myself to embarrassment again. 
I don't want to fail again. I don't want to be in a position where I look stupid again. So therefore, I'm going to back off. I'm going to retreat to a safe, mundane Christian life. I'm going to, if you like, back off as far as I can go. I'm going to surround myself with health and safety signs to make sure that nothing can get into my life that is going to be awkward or inconvenient or smacks of failure or above all is going to be embarrassing. I just don't want to get embarrassed. Now, you can do that as a Christian. That's, that's possible. And some of you have done it. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to change that later on this morning. You've backed off so far and you've put so many limits about what you are never going to do again and what you are never going to get yourself in a position where you can look that stupid. You're not going to take those risks again. And you've got all the health and safety around you to make sure that your Christian life is safe from failure. And the result is you're a bored, disinterested, unproductive, stilted, stunted Christian. And if you're not careful, you'll spend the rest of your life living back here in your little safe world where God can never let you down again. You can believe all sorts of lies as a result of these opportunities when God doesn't show up. You can believe lies about God. God's not good. God doesn't care. Look at this boy. He's, he's, he's having all sorts of epileptic fits and seizures. They throw him into fire, into water. He's killing him. God doesn't care. If God cared, God would show up. You've had, you've had that, haven't you? You've known people who've been sick, ill, have even died. And you can believe the lie. God doesn't care. Because this has happened, God doesn't care. Or maybe you can even believe the lie that God's not able. He can't do it. Or you can believe lies about yourself because you've stepped out in faith. God hasn't shown up. You've said, well, it's, it's because I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. God's never going to use me. God can't use me. All of those things, as we'll see shortly, are lies. But there's a real danger that you and I believe in when God doesn't show up and our faith shrinks down to next to nothing. Let me ask you another little question. When was the last time you personally took a real risk for Jesus? I don't mean, you know, shall I put my hand up in worship? I don't mean that. I mean, when did you take a risk? When did you do something because the Bible tells you to or because you felt the Holy Spirit prompting you to? When did you do something that if God didn't show up would go badly wrong? Was it in the last few days? Last few months? Years? Seriously, when, when did you last take a stepping out in faith moment? If you can't really think of one very recently, it probably means you've backed yourself back into the corner and you live in a safe life. Because a Christian life should be constantly, I'm going to step out, I'm going to take a risk, I'm going to chance it, I'm going to do something for Jesus. Let's see what carries on with the passage, because it actually gets worse before it gets better. Jesus comes down in verse 17. Jesus is actually annoyed. Jesus is frustrated and irritated by this situation. Verse 17, Jesus comes down and the man says that the disciples couldn't heal them. Jesus says this, Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. He's very frustrated. He's probably got, we know from the, the, the situation going on, he's probably got a month to go before the cross. Now his time here is coming to an end. He's been trying to prep these disciples and get them ready. 
And, and time is running out. Jesus is knowing that he's going to have to face the most awful moment uh, of his life in perhaps 30 days' time. And he comes down and the bunglers at the bottom of the mountain still can't get it right. And he's frustrated and he's annoyed. Oh, how long shall I put up with this? They're not ready. But Jesus sorts things out. Jesus rebuked the demon. He'd obviously sensed there was some kind of spiritual aspect to this illness as well as the physical side. Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. Hey, it's done. Everybody's happy. The boy's happy. The dad's happy. Jesus is happy. Problem solved. The crowd's happy. They're clapping him. There we go. Peter, James and Johnny weren't down at the bottom with the failure boys are probably happy. They're probably looking over, aren't they? Judas and Andrew and Matthew's going, see, that's how it happens. As if they did it. And then there's a hand that goes up at the back. What was all that about? In fact, we find it's a hand that goes up at the back when they're in private. When they're away from them all, the disciples, particularly they're away from the nosy crowd and that interfering busybody dad, isn't he, with his, my disciples couldn't heal him, nonsense. They go, when the disciples came to Jesus in private, no one else was around. They still want to keep face. They still want to look good, don't they, as they they walk away. Yeah, yeah him healed. We, it's like when you, um, you, know, when you pass around the, the jar isn't it, and no one can unscrew the top and dad has a go, I'll handle this. No, it's impossible. And then, and then the mum goes, well I'll have a go. And dad goes, no, no it's, it's on too tight. It's on, I've tried it. It's too tight. Don't, no, leave it. Leave it. Leave it. I'll have another go. Oh, it's not shifting. It is not shifting. And, and, you know, and the mum goes, let's have a go. Oh, it's opened. And the standard line, of course, isn't it? I loosened it for you. I loosened it for you. You know, there's, prob- there's probably, do the sums, nine disciples walking back saying to Peter, James and Johnny, weren't there, we, lo- we loosened it. <laughs> we loosened it. We, we did the groundwork, if you like. You know, he reaped where we'd sown. That's actually not the questions we'll see in a moment. But they ask him, verse 19, the disciples came to Jesus in private, why couldn't we drive it out? That's a really good question. Why? The disciples had healed people before of all sorts of things. Jesus had specifically commissioned them to heal people from all sorts of sickness as part of their mission for the gospel. The boy really needed healing. It was a good idea. It was God's work. Jesus isn't here at the moment. But we're going to carry on his kingdom activity. I mean, all the lights on the dashboard are there, yet this should be a healing. And they don't understand. It's not as even as if they're being you know, lazy and they're sitting at home on the sofa saying, Lord, please do healing miracles out on the streets somewhere today. They're out there, in the crowd, taking a risk. These guys are genuinely stepping out in faith. They're doing what they think God calls them to do. And God didn't show up. And they rightly asked Jesus, why? And it's the question that you've asked before, isn't it? Why didn't he get healed? Why didn't you help me with the finances? Why didn't that work situation resolve? Why? And we're going to look at Jesus' answer. We're going to see why in this case Jesus says God didn't show up. This is our second F, just in case you're vaguely kind of tracking. Failure. It's not fun. Second F, faith. Absolutely fundamental. And I know that some of you have sagged mentally inside already at the, fate, at the thought of that. And I'll tell you why in a few moments. But if you have, stay with me. 
Okay? Faith is absolutely fundamental to what's going on here. Jesus replied, verse 20, why couldn't, we heal, why couldn't we heal the boy? Why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replies in verse 20, because you've got so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. That's a really frustrating answer. It's a really, really frustrating answer. It, it doesn't explain anything, it just blames me. Why didn't this work? We ain't got enough faith. It's frustrating. That doesn't help me. What, what am I going to do again? What am I going to do next time I get a boy with fits and seizures? I've just got to have more faith, have I? I, I can imagine rightly going, that doesn't help me. It's also a very contradictory answer. If we look at this carefully, look what he says. It's contradictory. Jesus says, why couldn't you hit it? Because you've got so little faith. Hey, but I tell you what, if you've got faith as small as a tiny mustard seed, you can do anything. Well, hang on a minute. You're saying small faith is okay here, but not okay here. How does that work? The disciples could say, well, we've got, we got little faith, have we? Well, that should have been able to move a mountain. Why doesn't it work? You've, you've confused me even more, Jesus, to be honest. I, you may be sitting there and, and you hit situations and you think, I've just got a t- I don't have much faith, I've got a tiny faith. And this wonderful promise, if you've got faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains, nothing will be impossible for you, is right next to a verse that says, oh, it didn't work because you didn't have enough faith. So you can think, my little tiny faith, is it enough or not? I don't know. We're sort of left a bit stuck if we take this at face value. I'll tell you what, it's also a really easy answer to give, isn't it? It's an easy answer for Christians to give each other why God doesn't show up. Oh, it's because you've got so little faith. And we can, we can kind of feel like Jesus, we're quoting him. Why didn't it work? Well, you haven't got enough faith. I gave so generously towards the building fund and now, to be honest, I can't pay my rent and I'm struggling to put food on the table. Why, God? Why didn't you show up? And some smug, smarmy joker always sort of strolls in, don't they? With their big line of victories of faith following them behind, like little ducks following a mother duck. And they come in, oh, but why didn't it work? You didn't have enough faith, did you? You didn't have enough faith, you naughty boy. I prayed for them, they didn't get healed, why not? You didn't have enough faith. Not like me, with all my success stories, and my new cars and my fancy new job. You didn't have enough faith. It's your fault. It's a really easy answer to give. And as we're going to see shortly, it's not the only answer to give. If you wanted to blame anyone in this story, you know the Christians that kind of, oh, I think God wants to heal you. You've got a, you know, you've got a, I don't know, you've got a broken leg or you've got kidney disease or something. And we're going to, and some Christian prays for you and you're not healed and they say, oh, and they say to you, I think you, I think you need to believe a bit harder. I think, I think you need to have a bit more faith. I think there's a little bit of a stronghold of unbelief in your heart, isn't there? Isn't there? You just need more faith. You've got so little faith. Actually, if you're going to be strictly literal from this passage, who did Jesus blame? The disciples, not the boy or the dad. So if you get Mr. Little Faith coming up to you, wagging his finger or her finger, you need more faith. You say, no, you need more faith. (laughs) The reason I'm not healed is because you haven't got enough faith. I'm doing great here. You haven't got enough faith. Don't let people pin that blame thing on you when you don't get healed. You know? 
And don't even feel guiltily as if you've got to say, oh, I feel a little bit better, thank you. Staggering along. <laughs> the theme of sort of fracturing and splintering as it takes your full weight. I feel a little bit better. Mm, thank you, Jesus. Mm. And then when you turn up in a double-sized cast next week, you know, and Mr. Victory in faith goes, mm, you didn't hold on to your healing, did you? It's like, I'll hold on to you in a minute, sunshine. However, this is the answer Jesus gives in this particular case. He says the reason, because on this occasion, guys, you didn't have enough faith. Despite the fact that this is a frustrating, contradictory, almost cheap answer, what I want to do now is just dig in and and I want to get five little points out of this that we can take away. What I'm not doing is attempting a kind of a really academic, theoretical, kind of biblical commentary style you know, discussion of it all. What I want is I want five things that we need to take away from Jesus' answer that will help us when God doesn't show up. Because I promise you, if you get away from the health and safety signs, if you come back into the danger zone and take some risks and chances, there will still be times when God doesn't show up. And I want to give you five... If you want a third F, it's like faith, failure and five. It's a, it's a bit forced, isn't it? <laughs> To be honest, it's a bit forced. You know, it wouldn't have gone down well on the training, Natalie, would it? But it's, it'll do. Five little mini points that are going to help us. First of all, I think what Jesus' answer does tell us is that God loves faith. He loves faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because He loves it. He loves it when people choose to trust Him, despite evidence to the contrary. Faith is not feelings, just to make that very, very clear. Faith is not the feeling you get inside that I feel this is going to be okay. That Mr. Triumph, with his string of victories following him behind, like little ducks following a mother duck, kind of seems to walk in. He's always wearing a suit. He's always getting out of an expensive car. I've got faith. Look at me. I feel fabulous. Someone's sick. No problem for me. I have faith. Faith is not the feeling you get. Faith is choosing to trust what God says and acting on it. You can have two people standing, let's say you're in a jungle and you are, um, you know, you've, this, this would serve admirably, this drop here. I'm walking through the jungle uh, and I come to a, uh, and there's a, there's a ravine and it's hundreds of feet down and there's fast churning water at the bottom in the stream and it's full of crocodiles and there's rocks. I can see balanced on the rocks are lions and there's piranhas swimming around in the water. And someone's left a couple of rusty razor blades there as well. And, and I've got across this and there's a, a real rickety v- bridge. You know, those ones made of rope, but this is made of jungle creepers with rotten wood in it. And you think, oh, my life, I've got across this. And you've got two people. You've got Mr. Faith and Victory who walks up to it. I feel certain. And in my certainty, I have great faith. And he strides across it. Every step making it, you know, less stable for you to cross after him. Thanks a lot for that. I mean, he's exercising faith, isn't he? Because he's having faith that the bridge is going to take his weight. He's exercising faith. But, but you and me, we're, you know, we're shaking, we're sweating. You know, we've got sweat patches about a mile wide under our arms. Shaking, we're feeling sick in our stomach. And as we're treading out onto each rotten board, we're thinking it's going to crack, it's going to drop me into the lions and the piranhas and the razor blades. 
Gonna get, I'm going to get bruising and a bit of brick dust in my eye and we're stepping across it and it's swinging and swaying and you're fretting and you're, you're going across and you're terrified. Any minute you think it's going to go wrong and finally you get to the other side. That's faith as well, isn't it? Because it's the action. It's saying, I'm going to trust that this bridge will take its way. Interesting side point. Who was the safest out of those two guys on the bridge? Who was the safest? Neither of them. Neither of them were the safest. Because their safety does not depend on their feelings, it depends on the strength of the bridge, doesn't it? So when you step out in faith because you feel that Jesus wants you to, and you've got a tiny, shivery, nervous, scared, little faith the size of a mustard seed, and the guy next to you is Mr. Triumph and Victory, who's safest? You're both just as safe because it comes down to how strong is Jesus? not how strong are your feelings. You know, you can take, you can take steps of faith and, and you're, you're wetting yourself in fear that it's going to go horribly wrong. And God says, that's faith and I love that. Oh, I love that. And you feel, but I'm all shaky, sweaty, nervous, terrible. I don't think it's going to work. God says, no, but you did it. You stepped out in faith. You took a risk. And he said, I love to see that. God loves faith. You might notice in your Bibles, verse 21's missing. Has anyone spotted that? It goes straight from verse 20. Uh, Nothing will be impossible for you. Verse 22, when they came together in Galilee. Your Bible may well have a footnote, verse 21, which says, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. What's going on here is the original Matthew's Gospel that was put together did not have verse 21 in it. If you think, well, it must have because 21 comes between 20 and 22. The verse numbers were put in, you know, much, much later, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of years after it was originally written. But because in the account in Mark's Gospel of this same event, Jesus also bungs in the line, this kind doesn't come out except by prayer, not prayer and fasting, just prayer. When the guys were writing this, they thought, well, he must have meant the same, you know, it's the same event, let's put it in and prayer and fasting would be good as well. Let's put fasting in too. And basically, later on when people were copying out this gospel, they added in verse 21. It was never in the original. It says, this kind doesn't come out by prayer and fasting. Why have they done that? And this is a fascinating point in our little psyche as Christians. I think they've done it because they want a method answer. Yeah? They want a method. Why didn't this work? Jesus says, well, you haven't got enough faith. Yeah, but give me a method, Jesus. Give me a method that I can use to make it work. All right, well, if you pray and fast, then it will come out great. Now I've got a method. Now I've got something I can do. And you see it all the time on Christians, the latest thing on the DVD or the God channel or the internet or the conference or the latest book that comes out is always how to get God to answer. The way to get God to answer is you've got to pray this kind of prayer. You've got to quote this Old Testament scripture. You've got to hold your hand up here in the air. You've got to use a loud voice. You've got to mm, use a quiet voice. You've got to push them when you pray. You've got to have a prayer hat or a prayer shawl or your prayer pants on or whatever it is. You've got to, you know, you've got to, you've got to have a brick from the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem or you've got to dress up like a Jew or, or you have a false beard or whatever the ridiculous nonsense that the churches pump out in order to basically just to fleece the flock and take your money off you. The latest Christian gimmick. Why? Because if we've got a gimmick, I can put my faith in the gimmick. Oh, this will make God answer me. No, he won't. God is a person. God is real. I don't have set techniques 
to make my wife or my kids do what I want. I have a relationship with them and we work it through together. If you're a Christian, you have a relationship with God. You don't resort to some kind of pseudo-magical trickery to make God answer. If I fast, God will do it. He didn't do it. Well, if I fast longer, God will do it. He didn't do it. Well, if I fast longer and pray at certain times, God will do it. No, why don't you just have a relationship with God? Number two, God loves faith is number one. Number two, for my five points, keep using the faith that you have. Let's not miss what Jesus is saying. Jesus really is saying, if you've got a tiny bit of faith, nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. That's a massive promise. And we, we can dilute it because we hear too much of the when God doesn't show up. I think what God loves is when we've taken a step of faith, he hasn't shown up, and we'll come more to that in a minute, why he might do that, and we still step out anyway. He goes, love that. Instead of saying, oh Lord, but I'm back here in my safety zone, in my comfort zone, and everything's safe. I think he doesn't like that. When we go, I'm back here, but I'm coming forward, and I'm pretty sure the bridge is going to collapse, and I'm pretty sure no one's going to come to Alpha. I'm pretty sure the money's not going to come back in. I'm pretty sure that the relationship's going to disappear. I'm pretty sure that no one's going to get healed, but I'm going to choose to do it anyway. God kind of goes, that is the faith that I love to see. Keep using the faith that you have. Don't worry about other disciples. If faith was too little, maybe mine's too small. No, no, use the faith you've got. Using faith is like muscle work, isn't it? You know, if you never use your muscles, you just end up kind of thin and weedy. Too many computer games, pasty face, skin and that sort of thing. If you use your muscles, gradually they get stronger and able to do more. If you never take risks of faith, you're literally like Xbox boy. You know, these muscles on your thumbs are brilliant, but nothing else works. It's an effort to open a can of Coke. You just need to keep using the faith that you've got. Keep stepping out in faith. Keep doing it. This promise from Jesus is one that despite the last however many years you guys have been here, you could see massive evangelistic breakthrough because it says nothing's impossible. If you step out in faith, you don't know when the world is going to change around you as a result of what God's going to do through you. If you stay in health and safety zone, safe and secure, you'll never see it. If you step out in faith, you don't know what God is going to do. You need to pray this. You need to pray for the impossible, not ask God for the probable. You need to have times, you personally and corporately as a church, when you're praying and people pray prayers that are nuts and you think, never going to happen, my friend. I've been a Christian 20 years, that's never going to happen. Ooh, Jesus says nothing will be impossible for you. Just watch yourself. If you start judging other people and thinking, yeah, you'll learn in time, you'll learn that God doesn't do that. Really? Jesus says nothing will be impossible for you. Whatever situation you're facing at the moment, personally, that needs faith. Nothing will be impossible for you. And it's not about, have I got big enough faith? Am I a giant of faith or a minnow of faith? It's just, let's just use the faith I've got and do what I think God's asking me to do and I will leave the consequences up to God. In Lewis, our building project, which is um, mercifully pretty much done, we bought an empty warehouse uh, in, in the centre of town. We've been looking for building for years. We bought an empty warehouse a couple of years ago for half a million pounds, which is good value for what it is. When we bought it, we had 70 members in the church 
And it then also transpired that it would take us another half a million pounds to get this building up to the state we could use it. And we, just to make you absolutely explicitly, we didn't have a million pounds in the bank. We had some in the bank, but not very much. And so I had this horrible feeling walking to work. I had the, when they phoned me up and said, you've got the building, it's yours. It was cheers all round, let everyone know. I had this horrible feeling walking to work the next day, thinking I've just spent half a million pounds of other people's money on a building that we can't use until we spend another half a million pounds, which we don't have, of their money. <laughs> and I did think this could go badly wrong. And it could have gone really badly wrong. At one point we came down to within £10 of completely running out of money and not being able to pay the bills. That's scraping the bottom of the barrel, but we came through. If we'd have said, no, we can't go for that building because it's too much, it's too big a challenge, nothing would have happened. I was so thrilled to hear from Santino the other day about the amount of money you guys have raised for your next phase of your building project. That's real faith giving, isn't it? That's real like, man, I'm going to give this even though I'm not sure I can afford it. I'm going to give beyond what's reasonable or sensible. And there will be other things after the building project where Paul and the guys call you out on mission or to take risks. And I just want to encourage you, go for them, even if you're the guy who thinks it's never going to work. Just take a step of faith and see what you can do. There's often many, many, many failures before there's a success. All the great kind of healing evangelists of our world today will always say they prayed for thousands of people before anybody got healed. Do you want to be the guy who gave up after three? Do you want to be the lady who gave up after five? Keep using the faith that you have. Choose to be full of faith. Little point number three of my five ones. I actually think a little failure is good for you. A little failure does you good every now and again because otherwise we start thinking it's all about us. I wonder if the disciples had done this. I wonder if the disciples had, had seen so many people healed they were just, do you know what, it's me. They wouldn't articulate that, but deep down, I can do anything. I'm, a, I'm such a mighty man of faith, I can do it. Maybe that was why God decided, do you know what, your faith has, has drifted a little bit. Maybe that's why God decided it's not going to work. A little failure is really good for you because a little embarrassment is good for you. Do you know what the root behind embarrassment is? Because embarrassment, it's not a problem, is it? It's a little bit awkward. Do you know what the real root, deep down, the, the, the root that the Bible would say of embarrassment is? It's pride, isn't it? It's pride. Which is, which is almost held up as the ultimate sin. Pride. You're embarrassed. Why? Because your pride's hurt. You're embarrassed. Why? Because you wanted to look good. The disciples were embarrassed because they wanted to look competent. You're embarrassed because you wanted the person to get healed and they didn't. You're embarrassed because your pride's been hurt. Sometimes the easiest way God's got of deflating our pride is just to not show up and let us look spanners. I, I've, I've, I've prayed myself into a hole once. I went to another church to speak. Before I know I was praying, God, let me speak well. Let it be great. God, let people be impacted. And I prayed a little one line of God, and if it doesn't go well, that needs to humble me, so be it. Let's move on to the glory prayers. And it absolutely tanked. It was the worst I've ever spoken in years. The guy who was leading the church was sitting in the back, and you could see him just going... He was looking at his watch. At one point he just got up and walked out. And, and I knew it was dreadful. Maybe it was God saying, do you know what, let's take your pride down a step or two. Sometimes God doesn't show up for the express purpose of seeing if he can humble you a little bit. The easiest way to, to go with that is not to fight it, 
And God's trying to humble you. The easiest way is to go, I'm going to be humble. Because it says God opposes the proud but gives grace for the humble. Number four, it's not always too little faith. It's not always too little faith. Let me tell you this, you don't know everything. You really don't know everything. We think we do, don't we? Because we've read the Bible. And because we're Christians. I think they're fine of everything that God's going to do. Listen, this is Isaiah 55. This is what Isaiah says to a very religious people who thought they knew their Bibles and thought they knew what God was going to do. Isaiah 55, he says this, For my, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my, ways than your, my thoughts than your thoughts. God is saying, you don't understand everything I'm doing. You may have been broadly kind of going in the right direction, but you're just a little bit out of step with me. God may be going, I've got different plans. When God doesn't show up, it's not because he doesn't care or he doesn't love you or he's not able to or because you're no good. Sometimes he's just got his other reasons. And as Christians, we just need to accept that and not ask, why, Lord, why? I don't understand why. I need a reason. God often says, no, you don't. The whole book of Job in the Old Testament, seldom read, has one message. We don't need to know why. Job goes through all sorts of sufferings and bereavements and illnesses and he loses uh, relatives that die and he's reduced to sitting on a rubble that used to be his house. He's got nothing. He's got horrible diseases. He's got his friends sitting around him and he's trying to work out why. And they say, you must have done something. You know, maybe you haven't got enough faith. Maybe you've done something wrong. And Job says, no, it's not. There isn't that. I can't see why God's done it. If only God would show up and contend with me. If only I could put my case to God and accuse him and he could answer me and explain himself. And you get kind of 30 odd chapters of this poetry going on and then, I think it's 38, God does show up. And suddenly it's all different because God doesn't show up and go, listen Job, I'm so sorry I let you down there. Let me, can I explain? Can I put the pieces together? God shows up and he says, who do you think you are? Do you know how the stars work? Did you put the sea in place? Did you make the earth? Do you know what the wild animals do when you're not even looking at them? God could say, do you know? Do you know how the tiniest subatomic particles work? Do you know what's going on in the furthest galaxies? Do you keep the Milky Way spinning? Do you? Do you know that? Do you know what's going on in the thoughts of every single human being, seven billion plus living on the planet today? God could say, do you know that? Oh, I thought you knew everything. Do you know how life works? Do you know why I choose one to live and one to die? Do you know what's going on inside the womb? Do you? God would say, you don't know everything. And God parades this kind of three chapters in front of Job of, do you know this? 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 Job's response at the end is not, yeah, but you still haven't answered my question. Job's response is this, he says, surely I spoke of things too lofty for me to understand. Surely I spoke of things that I, I can't comprehend. Sometimes people, when God doesn't show up in the most heartbreaking situations, and you think, why? I cannot see why you would not do this, Lord. Sometimes we have to say, I just trust you. I just trust you. Sometimes the biggest act of faith in your life is not being like Mr. Triumphant, there's little ducks following him behind. Sometimes your biggest act of faith is you stumble, you fall, 
you get up and you get walking again. You stumble again and you fall again and you fail again. You get up and you keep walking again. Sometimes what God is looking for in faith is just, please keep going, keep trusting me. And the last one I want to see, number five, to finish is this. The greatest victory ever was when God didn't show up. The greatest victory ever won was when Jesus, the man who on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane, pleaded, Father, if there's any other way, can we do it differently? The man who nailed up to a cross, suffering and dying, cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sky turns black as the body language of an invisible God refuses to look at him. He turns his back on his own son as he suffers and dies. Jesus is telling them this, verse 22, when they came together in Galilee, he said, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. On the third day he'll be raised to life. And they were filled with grief. The biggest victory ever was when God refused to step in. If ever anybody had a right to be rescued, it was Jesus on the cross. You can imagine the disciples, they've given everything for this man. He's bleeding, he's suffering. Surely there's going to be a vindication. Surely he's going to come through. Surely he's going to escape. They think any minute now God's going to show up. Jesus cries out in a loud voice, gives up his spirit and dies. What question are the disciples asking now? Why? Why? Why didn't you show up, God? The greatest victory ever was won when God didn't show up. Because on the cross, Jesus was taking our sin and our guilt and our shame, all the things that separate us from God, Jesus was taking them into himself, taking the just punishment and the anger of God so that you can be forgiven. And if you're a Christian and you find yourself in a situation where God doesn't show up and you ask why, bear in mind that sometimes it's better when he doesn't show up. If you are here and you are not a Christian, you have never chosen to commit your life to Jesus. I don't mean you've been christened or you're religious or whatever. Forget that. It's not a real Christian. If you have never made a step of faith where you choose to commit your life to Jesus, I want to urge you, do it today. Do it today. Because actually that moment of greatest defeat was the moment of greatest victory that allowed you to be acceptable to God. There will be many times over the next few years as you guys seek to build a big, strong church in Hastings, reaching the town and beyond. There will be many times when you have opportunities individually and corporately of faith. There will be times when you guys step out in faith and it's awesome. God shows up in a phenomenal way for you as a church. There will be times for you as individuals when you step out in faith and it's awesome. Nothing will be impossible for you and it's incredible. But don't get triumphalistic. Because I also promise you that there will be times for you personally as individuals and for you as a church when you step out in faith and God doesn't show up. 